guys, can we just, again, just give a hand to those families who did a, uh, took a big step of faith, and uh, it's exciting. So um, we always love to celebrate when people take a step of faith, and for these parents, we recognize that that is a step of faith. It's a step of faith in a lot of ways, uh, but to say that they want to commit to uh, raising their kids in a way where they get to know and, uh, and experience God and their family. That's an awesome step of faith, and so we're excited about that. I'm also excited this morning. Like Kevin said, I uh, just want to take a moment to welcome everybody. And so uh, if it's your first time here, if you're a guest, we want to extend a very special welcome to you. Welcome to everyone in the room. To those of you who are watching on live stream right now as well, we want to say hi to you, and we're so glad that you're here. And I'm so excited this weekend because we are actually starting a brand new series that's called Neighboring, But I, I want to say, before I explain a little bit of what we're going to be doing for the next five weeks, I actually first want to just take a moment and I want to recap something that happened last weekend here at Grace. So if you are a part of the Medina East Campus, and if you were here last week, you might remember that we finished a series, and at the end of last week's series in the book of 1 Thessalonians, we actually physically gave people an opportunity uh, to respond to the message of Jesus Christ and to put their faith in Christ, maybe even for the first time. And so you guys, I just want to let you know, just kind of as a church family, we were so excited that we were able to see just over 30 people take a stand last weekend and say yes to Jesus for the first time. So that's something awesome. And uh, like I said previously, we just want to celebrate any time that anybody takes a next step towards Christ. And so for some of you, uh, just putting your faith in Christ for the first time, we just celebrate with you. And so we're so thankful uh, for that. But I do want to just say that if you're a guest with us, if it's your first time here, I honestly don't think you could have picked a better week to come. And the reason I say that is because this week we're starting a brand new series that we're going to be in for the next five weeks. And so we oftentimes say this here at Grace. We say that a new series is maybe one of the best opportunities to get connected to a new church. And so if you're a person who maybe is not connected to a church, maybe you don't have a church that you call home, or maybe you're a person who has never been connected to a church, I would love to just encourage you and maybe give you a friendly challenge. And my friendly challenge would be that maybe you would just choose to lock in for the next five weeks as we go through this sermon series that we're gonna be in together called Neighboring, all right? So I wanna encourage you to do that. Now, if you've been part of Grace Church for any given time, so if you're part of this church, my guess is that when I say we're doing a series called Neighboring, for a lot of you, that might sound kind of familiar. Uh, that might sound a little bit familiar. And the reason for that is because uh, this term, the term neighboring, is actually a term that we use somewhat frequently around here. And so if you go to our website or if you've been around our campus, you've probably heard us talk about neighboring. Sometimes we talk about neighboring initiatives. We actually have a place on our website that talks about neighboring opportunities. And so this might sound familiar to you. In fact, this is kind of crazy. It was nine years ago that this campus, the last time we did a series by this same name, the name of neighboring. Now, some of you might have been here for that, but that was the last time that we collectively took an opportunity to talk about this concept and this heartbeat that we have as a church called neighboring. So here's the question that maybe you might be asking, and maybe you're not asking it, but I think it's an important question, is why are we doing a series called neighboring and why are we doing it now? And so I would say there's actually a few reasons why we decided that now is a good moment to do this series. So here's the first reason. The first reason is because, like I said, the last time that we collectively talked about this as a church was almost 10 years ago. It was in 2014. And, uh, and I know that uh, many of you were not around back in 2014. And so I think it's important for us to come back and to talk about this concept because I think what you're going to discover is that neighboring, this idea and this concept of neighboring, is actually a really critical part of our heartbeat as a church. 
Neighboring is a very important component of our DNA here at Grace Church. And so that's why I want to kind of do that. Here's the second reason that we want to do this series is because, like I said, the last time that we collectively talked about this was almost 10 years ago. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but we live in a very different world than we did 10 years ago. And I think we would say this, that while the neighboring uh, concepts that we're going to talk about are timeless, they're absolutely timeless, I think that the way that those things uh, work themselves out can actually change given the time and place that we live in. And so even though this neighboring conversation is timeless, I believe it's also very timely. I think it's timely for us to talk about it again, given the place and the time that we find ourselves today. So for those reasons and many others, uh, that's why we're going to be digging into this series for the next five weeks. Now, some of you might be hearing me. I keep saying this idea of neighboring, and you might be asking yourself, what exactly does that mean? Uh, when you say neighboring, what exactly is it that you're talking about? So here's what I'd like to do. I, I think maybe uh, to start off, I would love it if you got your Bibles. And as a way of defining what we mean by neighboring, I think the best place to look would be in the scripture. So I want to invite you to crack your Bibles open with me. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 10. Okay, so Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be planting ourselves uh, for the remainder of our talk here today. So if you want to get a Bible and get there, that'd be awesome. And then let me say, too, that if you didn't bring a Bible with you, like if you, don't, if you didn't bring a copy of the scripture, uh, there's a Bible that's under the chairs that you'll find on page 843 is where you'll find Luke chapter 10. And then we say this all the time, and we just love to say this. If you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, uh, we'd love for you to have one. You could take one of those home with you, uh, make it a gift, and start reading it. We would love it if you did that. So Luke 10 is where we're going to go. Now, as you're turning to Luke chapter 10, I actually thought uh, as we start, because remember, this is kind of the introduction week, I thought maybe a good way to introduce this is to start by asking you kind of a fun question. So here's a question I want you to think about with me uh, here today. All right, I want you to think about this. Uh, what kind of neighbor are you? All right, so I just want you to think about something for a second. What kind of neighbor are you? Now, notice I'm not asking you uh, what kind of neighbors do you have. Uh, that's probably a whole other conversation. I'm sure you got a lot of stories that we could talk about. But here's the question is, what kind of neighbor are you? Or in other words, what would your neighbors say about your neighboring? So think about your house or think about your dorm or think about your condo or your apartment or if you live with your parents. Think about what would your neighbors, the people around you, say about your neighboring? Let's see if you can relate to any of these. Maybe your neighbors would say about you that you're the ninja neighbor. You guys know what I mean by the ninja neighbor? The ninja neighbor is the one that is kind of sneaky, like it's the garage door up, garage door down, very discreetly moving in and out. No one's quite sure if you're home or not. Maybe that's what they would say about you. Maybe your neighbors would say that you're the ninja neighbor. Maybe not that. Maybe quite the opposite. Your neighbors would say that you're the nosy neighbor. Maybe that's you, right? I call this one the curtain twitcher. You know what I'm talking about? And they're the ones who are just uh, constantly involved in the affairs of the community. This is the neighbor that maybe you're like, hey, I couldn't help but notice that you got an Amazon package last week and the girth happened to be this size and you just know all the details. So the nosy neighbor, the nosy neighbor. Um, maybe not that. Maybe for you, your neighbors would say that you're the noisy neighbor. And uh, maybe you are the most likely to get the police called on you for a noise violation kind of neighbor. Maybe that's what you would be in your story. How about this one? Maybe not the noisy neighbor. Maybe your neighbors would say that you're the nutty neighbor. All right. Maybe, honestly, maybe that's you. Uh, you're the one who uh, is, um, you're the one that everyone's talking about, right? the nutty neighbor uh, in your neighborhood. What about this one? Uh, are you the zookeeper neighbor? So some of you, uh, maybe you can relate to this lady. You got all the cats. Maybe you, maybe you have all manner of wildlife and livestock and woodland creature that lives in your, in your uh, so maybe that's you. Uh, how about this one? Are you the free-range children neighbor? Where you're most, you know, they got kids everywhere, kids hanging off of stuff, and that's you. I'll give you one more. How about this one? Are, are you, maybe for you, you're the Joneses. 
right? You're the one that everyone is trying to keep up with. Uh, you are the one that your, your yard is perfectly manicured. Everything is exactly as it should be. And of course, those are just a few categories. We could probably list a bunch of others. Maybe you have some, and I'd love to hear those as well. But I think it's an interesting question. What would your neighbors say about your neighboring? What would your neighbors say about you? Now, here's what's interesting. I think that this is not just an interesting question, which it is. I actually think it's a really important question. It's actually a very important question, especially for those of us who follow Jesus. Now, I know that not everyone here today is a follower of Christ. Some of you are here and you're investigating Jesus and you're maybe trying to, to, to still uh, uh, kind of on, this, on a faith journey uh, together today. And by the way, we're so glad that you're here. But for those of us who follow Jesus, this is a deeply important question. And the reason it's an important question is because according to Jesus, the way that we neighbor is actually one of the most important things about following Christ. In fact, some of you might know this very famously. On one occasion, there's a person who came up to Jesus and they asked him the question. They said, what is the most important commandment? What is the greatest command? Jesus, if you could reduce it down, the Bible's big. There's a lot of laws that are in there. So if you could just distill it down, what's the most important thing to do? And Jesus actually does that. And this is what he says in Matthew 22. Very famously, Jesus said this. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And he says, this is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't it interesting? Someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And rather than giving one, Jesus gives two. In other words, these two commandments are so tightly bound together that they are inseparable. And what are they? Jesus says, love God with every fiber of your being. And then the second is like it. He says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as Yourself, And then Jesus says something that I think is really profound. This is incredible. Jesus says to this, to this person who's asking this question, all of the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law, what does that mean? It means that all the laws that you read in the Bible, and there's a lot of them, and all of the prophets, what's that talking about? Pretty much everything that the Bible says. Jesus says everything that you're reading in there, he says it hangs, all of it hangs on these two commandments. Commandments. Maybe here's a good word, a good kind of visual picture to get in your mind to kind of illustrate this. I want you guys to envision this with me for a minute. I want you to imagine a gigantic door that's hanging on two hinges. Okay, so something like this. Imagine a gigantic door that's hanging on two hinges. Here's what Jesus says. He says, listen, everything that you read in scripture, all the laws, all the prophets, all the words, he says, listen, they hang on two hinges. Love God and love others. And if you remove those two things from the commandments, he says, here's what happens. The whole thing comes unhinged. The whole thing comes unhinged. I actually really love the way one pastor said it. This is what he said. He said, everything that God has said and everything that God will ever say is supported and suspended in these two commandments. To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So in this series, here's what we're hoping to do. So just so you guys kind of know where we're going for the next five weeks, here's what we're hoping to do. Our hope is to teach, to encourage, to equip and then to release the people of our church to live out the great commandment in our lives. We wanna talk very, pra this series is gonna be very practical. You're gonna find that in the next couple of weeks. We wanna talk about what does it look like to be a group of people who are committed to living out the great commandment in our life, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so I think the best place to start as we begin this journey is to first start by talking about who exactly is our neighbor. When we're talking about our neighbor, who are we talking about? So this is actually the very question that Jesus gets in Luke chapter 10. So we're gonna start in verse 25, and we're gonna look at a very famous story. Many of you might be familiar with this, a very famous story where Jesus has an interaction with a specific uh, expert in the law. 
So here's how it goes. Here's what the Bible's going to say. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so here's what's going on. The Bible's going to say, on one particular occasion, a man came up to Jesus to ask him a question. And the Bible's going to tell us who this man was a little bit. It's going to tell us that this man was an expert in the law. Now, uh, just real quick on this, some of you might have different translations of the Bible, and your translation might say that a lawyer came up to Jesus, an expert in the law or a lawyer. Now, let me just clarify, for you and I, when I say expert in the law or when I say lawyer, we tend to think of someone who works in the judicial system, right? That's what we tend to think of. But that's not what it would have been like in Jesus's time. A lawyer or an expert in the law was someone who was an expert in the Old Testament law. In other words, this would have been a Bible scholar, Okay, this was a guy who knew a lot about it. He probably, most likely was a religious leader. And he comes up to Jesus to ask him a question, but I want you to notice what the Bible's gonna say. It's actually gonna let us in on a little bit of the motivations behind this guy's heart and behind his question. And what are his motivations? Well, he comes up to Jesus and he asks him a question in order to, notice this, to test him, to test him. And so I want you to notice this. As he asks this question, this man's intentions are not impartial or innocent. He is deliberately trying to test Jesus. Some translations say he's trying to trap Jesus. He's basically trying to trap Jesus in his words. So he comes up to Jesus and he asks him this question. And the question he asks is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus, which you just gotta love Jesus. Jesus in typical Jesus fashion, rather than just giving a simple answer to this man's question, instead he responds to his question with a question. Jesus is masterful at this. So he looks at this expert in the law and he says to him, well, what's written in the law? Jesus said, how do you read it? So he responds to the question. So basically he says, hey, you're an expert in the law. Uh, You know your stuff. So let me just turn the question back on you. How would you answer the question? How do you interpret it? And so this expert in the law returns back to Jesus and he says this. He says, well, I think I would answer the question that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice, this is interesting. Uh, We just looked at Matthew 22 and someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he answered the exact same way. So apparently this expert in the law, he knows the answer to this question. He answers correctly. And so Jesus comes right back to him and Jesus just says, yep, that's right. You answer correctly. And then he just simply says, now go and do that. (laughs) Go and do that and you'll live. Seems pretty simple. But apparently Jesus's answer is not satisfactory enough for this man because he comes back with a second follow-up question. The Bible says this, but he wanted, the expert in the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who who exactly is my neighbor? Is what he asked. Now again, yes, I love the Bible because sometimes the Bible gives us a little bit of insight into what's going on in a person's heart and mind. And I want you to notice the Bible tells us that the second question, the reason he asked the second question is because he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. It's interesting Uh, The idea of justifying oneself, literally, what does that mean? It means to render oneself as righteous. That's what it means. What does it mean to justify oneself? It means to declare that I am as I ought to be, that I'm doing the right thing. Now, Now, here's why I think he's doing, I think this is why he's asking this question. So back in this time, back in the first century, religious leaders like the Pharisees and the experts in the law, they believed that what the Bible taught was that we should love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. They believe that, absolutely. However, the Pharisees and the experts in the law had a very narrow interpretation of what that meant. 
And here's how they interpreted it. They basically said that your neighbor was basically your fellow Jewish person. That's who your neighbor was. And so what did it mean to love your neighbor? It meant basically that you love the people who are ethnically like you, that you love the people who are religiously like you, that you love the people who share the same worldview and ideology that you share. And that was how they defined neighbor. Now, anyone else who was outside of that category, they would say that that person is not your neighbor. That's why he asked the question, so Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? I actually really love, there's a fantastic book out there by a guy named Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. And the name of the book is called The Art of Neighboring. And so absolutely, I just got to give credit where credit's due. This is where we got the name and the title, Neighboring. We got it right from this book. And uh, I love what they said in their book about this passage. Here's what they said. They said, it's important to note that the statement that the expert in the law wanted to justify himself, the man wanted to define this word neighbor in such a way that he could not be found blameworthy. If his neighbor was someone that he could choose, then he'd be okay. So by asking Jesus to define the, word, define the word neighbor, this man was looking for a loophole. That's what he's looking for, looking for a loophole. And then they followed up with this. I love this. So think about it. Are we also trying to find a loophole in what Jesus said is the most important thing for us to live out? You know, I think that's a really important question. I think that's a really important point. Because, you know, honestly, I think maybe for all of us in this room, when I say, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think for a lot of us, we're like, that sounds really good. Like, that's a really good, that's a great principle to live by. That's something that you probably, you know, that's, that's like a verse that you'd wanna put up on your wall somewhere because that's a really good way to live. But if you actually stop and think about it, I mean, really think about it. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. which you gotta love Jesus. He responds to this man's question, but this time he responds with a story. Jesus gives a parable, a very famous parable. Here's what Jesus says. In reply, Jesus said, once upon a time, it's a story time. So he says, there was a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away leaving him half dead. This is a parable that a lot of you might be familiar with. You probably have heard it. It's actually the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I want you to know how Jesus begins his story. He says, once upon a time, there was a man. He was walking down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho when he got jumped. He got beat up and he was left for half dead. Now, even though this is a parable, which means that it's most likely a fictional story, what's interesting is that when Jesus says that this guy was going down this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, this wasn't a made-up road. This was actually a very real road. And Jesus' hearers, when he was telling this parable, they would have known exactly where he was talking about. It's actually a very famous road. So the road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho was actually a long and steep and narrow road. So it was from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was a 3,300-foot elevation change. And it was over the course of 17 miles. In fact, I'll actually just show you a picture. You can actually go visit this today. This is the road that he was talking about. And you can even see in this picture... It's narrow and it's steep and it's long. 
there was a lot of uh, caves and crags and valleys along this road that made it very dangerous. And so notoriously, what would happen is robbers would hide out in the caves and then they would come to travelers and they would jump them and they would rob them. It was a really normal thing that happened. In fact, it was so normal that this road actually had a nickname in Jesus's day. And you know what the nickname was? It was called the way of blood. That's what they called it because it was a place where people got jumped. And so when Jesus says, once upon a time, there's a guy going on this road, his hearers would have been like, no, yeah, we know that road. And then he says, yeah, the guy got jumped. They're like, yeah, that happens on that road. It would have made sense to them. So then Jesus goes on with the parable and this is what he says. He says, a priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And then he says this, so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So Jesus in this parable says this man is beaten on the side of the road. And he says these two guys were walking down that same road at different times and they both had the same response. Now, notice what Jesus says about these two guys. He says the first guy was a priest. The second guy was a Levite. Now, some of you might know this, but priests and Levites were basically these extremely well-respected religious leaders back in Jesus's time. Both priests and Levites would have been people who worked at the temple in Jerusalem. They would have been highly respected, highly revered, and highly religious men. And I want you to notice that the Bible's gonna say that the priest and the Levite, now I actually think this is a small detail that I think is really important. I want you to notice the Bible says that they were walking down that same road. They were walking down that same room. Now, why is that important? Why is that? Now, here's why I think that's significant. So when, when you and I, today in our culture, when I say that um, I was walking down the road the other day, I use it in a very general sense, right? I could be walking in any direction. I could be walking north and I could be saying I was walking down the road, but you know what I mean? It's just a general phrase. But here's the thing, because this road was so steep, Jerusalem was 3,300 feet higher than Jericho was. When the Bible says that these guys were walking down this road, that is actually really significant. And here's why. Because it meant that they were walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. They were walking in a certain direction. Now, why is that significant? Here's why that's significant. The priest and the Levite, both of them, would have worked at the temple in Jerusalem. And the way that it worked back in this time was that priests and Levites would work two weeks on, they would work for two weeks in Jerusalem, and then they would go home for two weeks. And most priests and most Levites historically lived in Jericho. It's actually what it was known for. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. They were on their way home. They had just worked two weeks, and now they were on their way back home. The Bible's gonna tell us that they were going down this road. And I want you to notice that the Bible says that even though they're two different people, they respond in exactly the same way. The Bible uses the exact same language. So notice what it says. It says the priest and the Levite, here's what they did. They both saw. They saw the man. They saw the need. They saw his condition. And then what's the second thing? And the Bible's gonna say that they actually moved over. They moved to the other side. They saw the need and they moved to the side. And ultimately what they did was they passed on by. They passed on by. What did they do? They saw, they moved to the side and then they passed by. These two religious leaders, highly respected religious leaders who worked at the temple in Jerusalem, who believed that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, they both saw the need, and they moved to the side, and they passed on by. Now, let me just say, you guys, before, before, we, before we find ourselves condemning these two guys, I just want you to think about this with me for a minute, okay? In some ways, and, and I don't know if this is to my own discredit, 
but maybe you can relate with me on this. In some ways, I can actually relate with these guys. In some ways, I really can. I just think about this way for a minute. They're going down the road, which means what? It means that they were coming home from work. It meant that they, that they had just worked for two weeks and they were headed home for two weeks, which meant also what? Which meant this, they were coming home with pay. And do you guys know how Levites and priests were paid back in the, you can actually read about it in the book of Leviticus. The way that they were paid is in food offerings with meat and grain offerings. So these guys would have been coming home with food for their families. And according to Jewish law, if your food comes into contact with anything unclean, like, for example, a man bleeding out on the side of the road, all of your food would have been contaminated. All I'm saying is for these guys to stop and help this man, it would have been potentially very costly for them. And I can just tell you when I understand that, it actually helps me kind of relate to them a little bit. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but I can tell you guys in my own life, there are times, I mean, again, to my own discredit, there are times that I see a need. There are times that I see someone who needs help, someone who could use a hand, someone who's in a situation. And there are times that I choose to move to the side. And there are times that I choose to pass on by. And it probably happens more than I care to admit. Times I'm driving on the road, I see a motorist broken down on the side of the road, and I see the need, and I know my schedule, and I know, my pri- I know what I'm doing, and I have this in my... And what do I do? I move to the next lane, pass on by. There are times that I see someone who needs a hand, clearly needs a hand, and rather than running to the need because of whatever reason, maybe it's because I don't want to be inconvenienced, maybe it's because I'm tired, maybe it's because I'm busy or whatever it is, I see the need, move this way, and I pass on by. Sometimes that I see someone whose eyes are red clearly from having just cried, I see the need. And I move to the side and I pass on by. I'm just saying I could see myself in some of these guys. Now here's where the twist comes. So Jesus continues the parable. He says, but a Samaritan, Samaritan, wow. As he traveled, came where this man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, you guys, let me ask you a question real quick. How many of you, okay, you guys are, a lot of you guys are here at church. Maybe you've been in church for a while. Maybe you've read the Bible. How many of you know this parable? Like, you just know this. It's the Good Samaritan. You know how it goes. Okay, that, that's what I thought. I thought most of us probably know, how the, knows, know this parable. Not everyone, but most of us know this parable. At least we're somewhat familiar with it. And that's actually really good. I think it's a good thing that we're familiar with this parable. That's awesome. But it's also, there's also a danger with it. And the danger is that sometimes we're so familiar with this parable that it completely loses its shock value. Now, some of you guys know this. When Jesus would have said Samaritan, it would have been utterly shocking to the people that he was talking to. And so you guys actually thought I would try this just as a way to try to recapture the shock value. I actually thought I'd ask you for a little bit of crowd participation. I want you to do something. This might be totally corny, might be totally corny, but it's okay because all I really care about is that we learn together, all right? So I'm gonna risk it, all right? It's gonna be corny. But I actually wanna ask you to participate with me. I'm gonna reread this story and to try to recapture the shock, I wanna ask you to respond in certain ways, okay? So when I reread this story, when I say the word priest, I want you to respond in a very in- interested way. Okay, so I want you to go, hmm. So when I say priest, I want you to practice it, all right? So priest, hmm, that's great. That's awesome, thank you guys. All right, all right then I'm gonna say Levite. And when I say Levite, I want you to act really intrigued. So I want you to go, huh, all right? So, so Levite, huh, yeah, good, okay. Now, when I say Samaritan, you don't need to practice this right now. I want you to gasp. 
All right, I want you to act totally aghast, shocked, maybe even disgusted, all right? So I want you to, to be, so can we try that? You guys ready? Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna read the whole thing and I'll cue you. So, so here we go. So Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and they went over leaving him half dead. You guys ready for this? A priest? I know, that's what I thought. I was like, huh. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. It's crazy, isn't it? Well, then check this out, you guys. A Levite. <laughs> when he came to the place, he saw him and he passed on the other side too. You guys, check this out. A Samaritan. <laughs> no, that's what I said. I was like, no. That was really good, by the way. Thank you, guys. So, so some of you guys are like, Samaritan, no way. Why is that so shocking? Here's, here's why that's so shocking. So a lot of you guys know this, man. The, the, in the history of the Jews and the Samaritans, there was a long-standing and deep-rooted tension that existed between these two groups of people. Specifically for the Jewish people, the Jewish people viewed Samaritans as traitors because of their history and as half-breeds because of their heritage. And I mean, it was deep-rooted. In fact, just to show you how deep-rooted this was, I just wanna show you a very famous Jewish writing back from the first century which would have kind of given you a picture of the way that the Jews viewed the Samaritans. So this actually comes from a book called The Wisdom of Syrac. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but The Wisdom of Syrac, just so you know, is not a book of the Bible. It's not. But what it was is it was a very familiar book to the Jewish people, and it actually fueled a lot of ideology among the Jewish people in the first century. And the reason that it's called the wisdom of Syrac, which is kind of ironic, is because basically what the book was saying is there's this guy named Syrac and he has wisdom for how you should live your life. And so this was the commonly accepted wisdom of this day. And look what he says. This is what it says. Two nations my soul detests and the third is not even a people. He says those who live in Sire and the Philistines and those foolish people who live in Samaria. So this was the mentality of the people, the Jewish people back in this time, was that the Samaritans weren't even considered a people. And so do you guys see, it was brilliance on Jesus's part, that Jesus tells this story in such a way that he casts the enemy as the hero. And notice, notice what the Bible says about the Samaritan. What did the Samaritan do? Look at his actions. The Bible says, but the Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he saw him, he took pity on him and he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured oil and wine. By the way, oil and wine would have been used for medicinal purposes back in this time. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. And by the way, a denarii was about, uh, worth about one day's wage. So this is two days worth of wages. And he gave him to the innkeeper and he said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. The Bible's gonna say he saw, he went, and he took care of him. And not only did he take care of him, I want you to notice how many things this Samaritan took. The Bible's gonna say that he took pity, he took care, and he took out resources. And who's, here's a question, who is he taking from? Who is he taking from? He's taking from himself, his own resources, his own time, his own compassion. He's taking of himself to care for this person. You guys, contrary to the priest and the Levite, the priest and the Levite saw, moved to the side, passed on by. You see the Samaritan, the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan. He saw, he moved towards, and he took action, and he took interest, and he took compassion, 
and he took care. So finally, after Jesus tells this brilliant parable, he, asked by, he ends by asking this incredible question, very, very penetrating question. He says, which of these three do you think? Now, this is such a fascinating question, you guys. I just want you to think about this. He said, which of these do you think was a neighbor? Which one was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of a robber? Because I think this question is so illuminating because what this question reveals to us is that according to Jesus, according to Jesus, neighboring is not a noun. It's not just a noun. It's a verb. Or if I could put it in another, if I could just put it another way, I'd say it this way. I would say that neighboring is not just about living somewhere. It's actually about being someone. Which one was a neighbor? And he's gonna say the neighbor is the one who sees, who moves towards, and who takes action. That's what a neighbor does. That's what a neighbor is. And so the expert in the law, Jesus asked the question, which one was a neighbor? He responds back that I love his answer. You know, I don't, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I love his answer. He just simply responds, the one who had mercy. The one who had mercy. And it appears like when you read this, this man can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He can't even say it. So Jesus is like, hey, uh, which of those three show compassion? And he's like, the third one, the one who had mercy. Can't even bring himself to say it. It almost reminds me of when people ask me, hey, who won the Ohio State-Michigan game last, last year? I'm always like, the team up north. Right? Those guys, I can't even bring myself to say it, right? And that idea. And so Jesus concludes, and he says, yep, so go, and you do likewise. Because I think in this shocking parable, there's a lot of things we can observe, but I think that Jesus is revealing to us at least two important things about neighboring, two important aspects about neighboring. Here's the first thing I think this is revealing to us. Number one is that everyone's our neighbor. I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, everyone is our neighbor. Jesus in this parable universalizes neighbor. So no matter who it is, no matter who it is, regardless of social status, economic status, gender, race, nationality, political affiliation, or sexual orientation, all the way to your enemy, Jesus is going to say, these are the people that we are called to love. In other words, there, listen, there is no opt-out clause for who Christians, for those who follow Jesus, are called to love. Even the person whose name you have a hard time even saying out loud, all the way to there. Jesus says that's how we're to love. Everyone is our neighbor. For those who follow Jesus, we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we are called to be conduits of that love to the people who are around us, everyone is our neighbor. Now, uh, that's good and that's true, but it's also a challenge because I know if you're anything like me, when I say everyone is my neighbor, sometimes that can be so broad that it's, it's hard sometimes to be specific. Like if you're saying the application of this sermon is that you should just go love everyone, I'm like, I don't even know where to start because if you aim at everything, it's really easy to hit nothing. So that's why I think the second aspect is important, you guys. Everyone is our neighbor, but here's what Jesus is also gonna show us. Listen, someone is my neighbor. Someone is my neighbor. Like literally, someone is my, literally, someone is your neighbor. Someone is, so Jesus in this parable, yes, he universalizes neighbor, but I want you to notice that he also particularizes our neighbor. Who is our neighbor according to this parable? Here's our neighbor. Our neighbor is those that we inter intersect with our natural pathway of life. That's who our neighbor is. It is the person who is already in the natural pathway of your life. And here's the question. Here's the question. Are our eyes open to them? 
What if we just started there? In our own schools, in our own workplaces, in our own gyms, in our own neighborhoods, with the people that we see in the natural pathway. What if you started, I mean, this is crazy, with your literal neighbor? What if we started there? That's what we're thinking about and dreaming about. You guys, as a way of making this extremely practical, you know, because like I said, this series, you guys, our hope is that this series is very practical. I want to give you one practical step this week. This is one practical challenge, one practical step. And it's actually a small one, just a small step. But this is what I'm going to challenge you to do, all right? There's a really helpful graph that I want to show you. I, t- I talked about the Art of Neighboring book I mentioned. This is actually where we got this. I think this is, this is so helpful, so, so simple and so helpful and such a great step. So this is what I'm going to challenge you to do, okay? This week, sometime, maybe even right now, I want to encourage you to draw out a grid, just like this. Just draw out a grid. And I want you to envision that this is your house. This is where you live, right here, okay? It's your condo, your apartment. This is your dorm room. This is, if you live with your parents, this is the house that you're in right now. Okay, so I want you to imagine your house. Now, here's how it works. Very simple. If this is where you live, who lives here? Who lives here? Who lives across the street here or across the hallway here? Who's here? Who's here? Who's here? Now, I understand not every house, is, you know, neighborhood is set up like this. It's not a perfect grid. If you live in Hinkley, it's like two miles away and all that kind of stuff. That's fine, okay? But just the parts that you can fill out, and here's what I want you to do, all right? I simply want you to put inside of each of these squares A, B, and C, all right? So what is A? Here's A. I want you to list out, do you know the names of the people who live there? Just write them in. So it might be like, yep. That's Christine. That's Jack and Diane. I don't know. It's just old Sakai. Whoever, right? Okay. Can, can you fill that? Okay. B, I want you to write in any relevant observation, any, any relevant information beyond observation. Okay. So not like drives a red car. You don't actually need to talk to them to know that. But is there anything that you know about them just because you've had a conversation? So you could write in like grew up in Indiana. Or, you know, whatever it might be. Went to school, went to school at Purdue or whatever it is. Okay, then C, would you be able to fill this in? Do you have any in-depth information about them? Things that are basically like, like signs that there's a deeper relationship. Things like dreams or aspirations or career goals or maybe even past struggles or failures or maybe even their faith background, whatever that might be. Can you write those things in? Now, here's what's interesting. The guys at Neighboring, the authors of Neighboring, found that they did a survey they found that of the people they surveyed, that only 10% can fill in A for all of the neighbors that are around them, the people who are around them. Only 3% can fill in something for B, and only 1% can fill in something for, for, for C, for the third thing. And, and here, here's what we're saying, you guys. I just think that a really good question is, I think sometimes, sometimes it can be really easy to, to think, like, I think for those of us who follow Jesus, and honestly, probably for a lot of us, we want to make a difference in the world around us. We really do. And sometimes we can look at the news, and we can look at the headlines, and we can see all the things that are happening in the world, and we can see things like wars, and refugees, and hurricanes, and relief, and, and sometimes it can be overwhelming to know where to start. And we should care for those things, and we should pray for those things, and we should even send teams to those things, and we do. But what if we just started in our own backyards? by just people who loved our own neighbors. How about this one? If you're a student, if this is your desk in homeroom, who sits in this seat? 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 Can you fill in those things about them? It's your cubicle at work or your desk at work, your office, wherever it is. 
Can you fill out these things? What if we just started there? Because here's the thing. Here's the question that we want to investigate for the next weeks together. We just want to think about this. Hey, what if we weren't just people that went to church? But what if we were a church that actually went to people? What if we actually became people who we saw the needs of the people around us and we moved towards them and we took action, just like we see in the parable? Yes, can you just imagine what would happen if all of us did that? I just want you, now, I just, this, this is just maybe pie in the sky thinking, but I just want you to imagine with me for a minute. Can you imagine the difference that if just the people of the Medina East Campus did this, what it would be like? The difference it would make in our communities? Um, I, I'll be honest with you guys, I was creeping on you a little bit over the last couple of weeks, I apologize, but I made a little map of where all of you live, all right? And I actually had uh, Rick Scavuzzo help me with this, and um, this is a map of the Medina campus is here. This is the greater Akron area, so Akron and Medina. This is where all of you guys live. And um, I really want to meet the person up here. That's far. And, uh, and down here in New Franklin. Uh, but uh, you guys imagine if we just said, you know, we're going to be people who care about our neighbor. Can you imagine the difference that would make? What if, listen, you guys, check this out. What if all of Grace Church of Greater Akron did that? We're one campus of many. What if all of our campuses did that? You guys imagine? This is crazy thinking, pie in the sky. But you guys, what if the whole church in America did that? Every follower of Jesus in America. Some of you guys might notice that there's some missing. <laughs> I spent 30 minutes on that slide. I'm not kidding you. So. Guys, can you imagine, though, the difference that we could make if we really cared in these ways? It'd be awesome. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And uh, you guys, as the band makes their way up here, um, I feel like we have weeks to go in this series. There's a lot to come. But I feel like this, this, uh, this message would be incomplete if I, didn't, if I didn't say this last thing. And that's this. What is it, that, what is it that's going to motivate us to be people who see needs, who move towards them, and to take action? What's gonna motivate us to do that? Is it, because, is it because we just wanna be a bunch of good citizens? Is that what's gonna motivate us? Is it because we're good people and we feel better about ourselves when we do good things for the people around us? Is that what motivates us? Are we motivated because there's duty and there's guilt and this is what we should do? Is that what motivates us? And you guys, I just wanna be clear that what motivates the great commandment is that we must love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. The reason that we love this way, the reason that we're called to love this way, and the reason that we're able to love this way is because, you guys, we have to see that this is the way that God has loved us. It's the truth is this. Here's how God loved us. God saw us. God saw us. You guys know, in this parable, in this parable, let me just tell you, we are not the Levite, we are not the priest, and we are not the Samaritan. Do you know who we are in this parable, you and I? We are the man who is beaten down, half dead on the side of the road, incapable of doing anything to help himself or save himself. That's us. According to the gospel, while we were still yet sinners, while we were estranged from God, he saw us. He's the one who saw us in our condition, unable to help ourselves. And the Bible is gonna say that the God of the universe, though he saw us, rather than moving to the other side, he came towards us. He entered into our situation. He entered into the mess. And then he took action. And he lived a life for us on our behalf that we couldn't live. And he went to the cross and he died for us. And then he rose victoriously and he raised from the grave. And he's given us his Holy Spirit. Jesus took from his own resources, 
from his own wealth, from his own forgiveness, from his own righteousness, and he has given those things to us. It's only when we realize that we are the beneficiaries of such a divine love, that God is a God who loves his neighbors, that we are compelled to love in the same way. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just want to say thank you that you've loved us with with an incredible, unearthly love, a love that sees and a love that moves and a love that takes action. So Father, I pray that as we love you with all of our mind, soul, heart, and strength, and we receive the love that you have for us, that you would propel us to be people who love. God, would you just give us eyes to see this week? Help us to see our neighbors. I mean, literally, the people around us. And help us, God, to to maybe just have in the back of our mind to be thinking and to be praying and to be keeping our eyes open to see ways that we can connect. So God, we love you. We praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.